Welcome back to the Toxic Google Podcast, where great minds meet. I'm Jessica, bringing you this week's episode with Ariana Huffington and Marina Kittikill. Talks at Google brings the world's most influential thinkers, creators, makers, and doers all to one place. Every episode is taken from a video that can be seen at youtube.com slash talks at Google. Ariana and Marina discuss Thrive Global and their book, Your Time to Thrive, End Burnout, Increase Well-Being, and Unlock Your Full Potential with the New Science of Microsteps. Eschewing trendy self-care fixes or the latest health fads, Your Time to Thrive is the revolutionary guide to living and working based on microsteps, tiny science-backed changes, with chapters dedicated to sleep, nutrition, movement, focus, and prioritization, communication and relationships, unplugging and recharging, creativity and inspiration, and purpose and meaning, Your Time to Thrive shares practical, usable, research-supported mini-habits that will yield huge benefits and empower people to truly thrive in all parts of their lives. For the full event description and more information about Ariana and Marina, please visit g.co slash talks at Google slash your time to thrive. Moderated by Googler Dr. Karen DeSalvo, here is Ariana Huffington and Marina Kittikill, your time to thrive. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Karen DeSalvo, and I lead the clinical team here at Google. And it's really my honor today to be able to welcome two fantastic women to talk with us about a book that they have coming out, which builds on a career of really interesting work for both of them. With us today are Ariana Huffington, who's the founder and CEO of Thrive Global, and also, of course, the founder of The Huffington Post. In 2016, she launched Thrive Global. We're going to hear more about the work of that organization in a bit. She's been named to Time Magazine's list of the world's 100 most influential people and Forbes' most powerful women's list. She is, of course, originally from Greece, but has also a very interesting story about visualizing and then going to Cambridge University, where she excelled in many ways. We're also joined today by Marina Kittikul, who is the head of content development at Thrive Global. Marina leads strategy, ideation, execution of Thrive Global company content. Uh, in her role, she helps people use personal stories uh, to talk about going from surviving to thriving. She previously held senior editorial roles at Women's Health, Cosmopolitan, and Glamour, where she edited award-winning health and mental health features, spearheading campaigns and partnerships around them. So very much welcome to the two of you today. Uh, I'm just delighted to be able to have this conversation. I I loved your book, and I cannot wait for others to have a chance to experience it. And, and so we will get into talking about that. Um, so congratulations. The book is called Your Time to Thrive, End Burnout, Increase Well-Being, and Unlock Your Full Potential with the New Science of Microsteps. I don't, you'll have to tell me why you chose to have such a long title. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. Doing a book tour is going to be is going to be interesting for you all. I think it comes out next week. Is that right? Yes, March twenty third. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. As I said, it was a great read. Uh, easy to do. Um, I found it particularly helpful in these really trying times, and I think a lot of people will. I, I kept thinking if I'd had this when I was still seeing patients in medicine, it would have been so great because there's 
you know, like pull out chapters on things that really trouble folks like, like insomnia or, or better sleeping or being more physically active or eating better. And so just a really nice set of eight pillars that you outline in the book and, and, um, ways to take micro steps every day to, to really get over um, some of the inertia that sometimes I think we find ourselves in and, and really learn to, to be all that we can be. So we'll, we'll have a chance to talk more about it. I just thought maybe we'd start by the two of you just sharing, um, Ariana, you can start with, with like why this book now and um, what you hope people will take away from it in, in, the, big, in the big picture. Thank you so much, Karen. So great to to be with you and thank you for all your amazing work through the years. Uh, we decided to um, publish the book right now because at the very moment when people are particularly overwhelmed and anxious about the future, it's important to make it clear that uh, adopting healthier habits around stress, burnout, um, weight, uh, sleep, anything we want to address um, can be broken down into these magical micro steps that we call too small to fail. Because as you know, Cora, when you tell people, you know, sleep for eight hours or meditate for 20 minutes, it often seems like another thing to stress about. Yeah. Because they're already overwhelmed. So by breaking it down into very easy, actionable steps, we build this muscle of success. And we have all the data and science that show that actually that's the way to adopt healthier habits, which is the opposite of New Year resolutions, which are big and ambitious and normally broken before the end of January. So uh, we've broken it down, as you said, into these eight pillars, and people can start uh, wherever they want. I mean, I, I personally believe, and that's why we start with that, that sleep is foundational. Um, it is truly the foundation of our physical immunity, our mental health, and our creativity and productivity. But start somewhere. And I'll just mention one micro step so that we can be practical from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, before you go to sleep, turn off your phone and charge it outside your bedroom. Because the phone is the repository of every problem and challenge. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, you are likely to go to your phone if you can't go right back to sleep. Now, if this seems too big a step, start one night a week, maybe a weekend night begin to feel how it is to experience separation from your phone at night and then pick it up from there. This is one of the hardest ones I think for people, but the sleep and sleep, by the way, is one of my worst skills. And so I, I, I have read that chapter a couple of times and adopted a couple of the strategies, particularly around the phone. Uh, but I also like, it may be in this chapter or another where there's the, where you talk about the research that people prefer to have an electric shock rather than give up their phone. And I think none of us want to be that, want to be that person. But I, I do, I completely agree. I think just sort of backing away and, and giving yourself some non-screen time. Marina, can you, can you um, talk a bit about why you think narrative stories and personal stories, you have many of them in the book about ways that you thought of this are so important to, to, to layer in with the science that you all also include there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of science and ancient wisdom, but there's also a lot of heart and storytelling. And it's so important 
A, I mean, we're all voyeuristic. We want to know what works for other people and what doesn't work for other people and how others have incorporated these micro steps in their lives. So at Thrive, um, Ariana always says, we drink our own champagne. We don't need our own dog food. We drink our own champagne. <laughs> and so you'll find in every chapter a micro step diary um, by a Thrive staffer, as well as micro steps and tips from um, amazing thinkers and leaders and um, creatives. Uh, but it's was super important to us to have, uh, you know, to have Thrive staffers actually walk the walk. And some of them, you know, had challenges with their micro step and ended up picking a different one to do. And some of them found it really inspiring um, and surprising. You know, I think uh, you look through the book and you look at these micro steps and you might say, that's it. But that's the point. The point is that you don't have to overhaul your life right now to see a big impact to your well-being. And frankly, after the year that we've been through, who has the energy for a big life overhaul? Um, so stories and heart are, are a huge part of that. You know, knowing what works for other people, what Ariana's favorite micro step is, what what mine is, what yours is, Karen. Who who doesn't want to know that stuff? Uh, yeah, I and I think that's part of the role modeling, and and I you all talk about that some in the book too. So let's talk about well being, um, especially in this time of of the pandemic of COVID. It's been a really tough year for a lot of people in in very real ways. Not just uh, oh I'm I'm bored at home, but people have lost jobs. They've had to learn to be teachers on top of of doing their usual day job, and on and on. Um, and of course, having family and friends that have been sick. And so I think really getting centered and having this sense of of well being. That's why the message seems great at this time, though even I think you guys actually started the book maybe before the, the pandemic. So, um, you know, knowing that we've seen quadrupling in rates of mental health challenges, knowing that that's hit women particularly hard um, in this time of the pandemic, and that more women are, are reporting their burnt out than ever. Um, maybe you guys could talk a bit about how you think people, women in particular, especially women that are trying to either stay in the workforce or make some of these decisions should be thinking about well-being and, and how, to, how to have more balance in their lives. So Karen, I would say there are two pieces of uh, data that uh, make us feel optimistic and permeate the book. One is that even pre-pandemic, we were living unsustainable lives. Um, frenetic, breathless, with skyrocketing rates of disease, as you know, especially diabetes, hypertension, uh, and a mental health crisis. So it's not like we left behind a golden age. Right. So if we can see this crisis, this forced pause, as a catalyst, as a once-in-a-generation opportunity to redefine how we work and, and live and what a successful life is, that would be an amazing achievement. And starting with these micro steps, so it doesn't seem like a, a huge overhaul of your whole life. The second cause for optimism that permeates the book is the latest neuroscience that tells us that it takes 60 to 90 seconds to course correct from stress for the cortisol stress hormone to leave the body, to move from the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight mode to the parasympathetic nervous system. That is kind of amazing. This is my favorite ever <laughs> um, data point because while stress is unavoidable, nobody can 
uh, sit here and promise anybody a stress-free existence. Um, cumulative stress is avoidable, and it is cumulative stress that is the killer. So throughout the book, we have the 60-second resets that um, we hope people can incorporate in their lives. We are even working with Zoom to bring a 60-second Thrive reset into the Zoom app. So between Zooms, while people are struggling with Zoom fatigue, or if you're using a different uh, video conferencing, WebEx or Teams or anything, the same applies, take 60 seconds to take conscious breath, to remember what you're grateful for, to get up and stretch. And the change that makes is amazing. And it's it is so simple. This is one of my favorite things and, and that I have definitely adopted um, because I spend a lot of time staring at a screen in front of me for my job. And um, but but even still, I think there's a lot of sitting that we do and, and we're stacking that stress. So um, for me, for example, um, I, my neighbor had a, a hummingbird feeder and I found myself peering over her fence sometimes uh, to, to get it to get a view of those beautiful creatures. So I got myself a hummingbird feeder. Now I can go for a few minutes, sit there, watch them do their thing um, and, and breathe and let go of everything else. And it's just a way to de-stack that stress. But I, I have to do other things in between in between the meetings too. Stretching, really big one. And I, and I love that. So I, I encourage folks, because you're right, you can't get away from the stress, but you have to manage it and give your body that what we we say diastole in medicine. Give yourself a chance to step back from that allostatic load so that you can feel fresh for the next encounter that you have so you can you can be present. Right oh, about your bird feeder. Uh, it makes such a difference if you share your story, to go back to what Marina was saying. You know, I did that. Uh, Philip Schindler told me at um, a dinner once that he had um, an, an encounter with his uh, children um, who told him that um, could the babysitter instead of him take them to the, to the park. And when he asked why, uh, his son replied, because when you're in the park with us, you're always on your phone. And the impact this had on him and why he decided not to be, use his phone when he's with his children. That was pre-pandemic, but the impact it had uh, around the Google, the Googlers who read it was profound because as we are changing culture, we need cultural permission from the top. So you writing about um, um, your bird watching or your running and hiking, we need these stories told and captured to actually encourage everyone to do something themselves. Well, you'll be happy to know Philip is still leading by example, and he's a, he's a Googler, and he has, during the pandemic, been encouraging um, switching up between video and phone meetings with some of his his team, so he gives people that that sort of a, of a screen of a screen break. Marina, do you have uh, thoughts for, for specific micro steps or good stories that, that you're aware of for especially women in the workplace that are trying to, to balance um, and make sure that they're present in the right space at the right time? Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many of these tips in the book. As you mentioned, Karen, we started writing it before the pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, all of our lives are turned upside down. We were quarantining. We were more stressed than ever. So it was as much for all of us working on the book as it 
was for the rest of the world. We weren't thriving this year. And we knew that our time to thrive was coming, the book and our actual time to thrive. And for women, you know, working from home, there's so many stats that we're actually working longer hours than we even were before the pandemic. We're working from home. We're not logging off. And one thing that's incredibly important to do is to declare an end to your workday. You're never going to be finished with everything on your plate. Um, and you know, it's just not going to happen. So it's up to all of us to just declare that end and say, I'm done now. Even symbolically, you know, shutting your laptop closed um, helps me like that little act of symbolism, like this is closed right now, closed for business. Um, and that gives us a chance to do the important recharging and unplugging that we we're all talking about. That's really hard to do unless we intentionally do it. So declare the end to your day, say, you know, I'm done. And that one small act of setting a boundary can start multiplying and multiplying and feeling more natural. And as Ariana was saying, it's really important for companies to normalize that as well. You know, so if you have an appointment or if you need to take a day off, um, you know, that we have that compassion for ourselves and each other and normalize those things. And, and, and take away the guilt of being, of the fact that they're, that, that that's normal and, and okay. I have a coworker who um, has a beautiful ceremony that she does with her kids that they started during the pandemic. And so they, they have their morning breakfast and then they take a walk around the block to commute to work in school. And then the day starts. And then when the day ends, they commute in reverse direction and the and the day and the day has ended and then they have their evening together and um i've been trying to do that liz but i haven't been quite quite as good i find that 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 sort of knowing when to shut off is i don't have kids and so there's not that really important need to pay attention to them in the evening on the other hand as we as we're going to say over and over again you have to pay attention to yourself because you have to be centered and ready to meet the challenges ahead of you which kind of brings me into um this idea of innovation and creativity and I want to I want to have a chance to talk about that with you all um, that you don't you're not born creative or not um, that that you have to build practices that allow you to be able to to be in the moment and to to do that that kind of work. So um, could you could you guys share a little bit about how you're thinking of creativity and innovation, not only in life, but also in, in the workspace and how microsteps can help people get there? Absolutely. And that's why we have an entire chapter on creativity, inspiration, innovation because we need to end the cultural delusion that in order to be your best, most creative, most innovative, you need to power through exhaustion. And it was very interesting to us to find out where did this illusion start? How can an entire culture believe something so incredibly false? And it really started with the first industrial revolution when we started revering machines. And the goal of a machine is to minimize downtime. And then the goal of software is to minimize downtime. But for the human operating system, downtime is a feature, not a bug. And recognizing that also means recognizing that to be our most creative, innovative self, we cannot do it when we are running for em from uh, on empty. Can you wait? Can you just say that one thing again? That it's a just. You, I just want to repeat what you said. It's a feature and not a bug. Yes, I thank really. I want people to really in internalize that. Thank you for repeating without a Greek accent, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds beautiful when you say it. So, so I just, uh, especially That's for the tech people, I want them to hear that because it's very important, especially for high achieving Googlers 
who want to be innovative, creative, and who expect everything from themselves to recognize that when we want to be our most innovative, we need to refuel ourselves. Um, we need to be able to reconnect with that place of creativity, wisdom, strength, and peace inside us. And from that place, we can be our most amazing selves. Um, we call that kind of the eye of the hurricane also. Because in the middle of chaos, in the middle of anxiety, uncertainty, we can find that centered place and create and innovate from that. You know, when we're doing maintenance, we can do it while we're exhausted. It's harder to do maintenance um, and innovate at a time like this when everything is changing. And even post-pandemic, we know that change will be a constant of our times. It will. And you, talk, you guys talk in the book about, about um, boredom and the, and the value of, of, of respecting, respecting boredom, especially in a culture where we're constantly multitasking. Uh, there's, a, there's a snippet in there of a woman on a conference call, um, a, a story that, that, that you wrote, Marina. I, I'm assuming that you wrote it, or maybe it's you, because <laughs> it's definitely me. The woman is doing about 20 things at the same time, and there is no possible way that she could be focusing on what she needs to get done. On the other hand, there are ways to multitask. So maybe you could share a little bit about the about multitasking myths and, and potential. Yeah, I mean, that woman is all of us, right? It's not just you, it's not just me. I thought you were watching me, actually. <laughs> no, no, we've all been that cat meme that's like typing and like trying to do everything. Um, no, you know, multitasking, it's, it's so funny that you bring it up because other people have been really um, reacting to that piece of the book too, where they finally have learned, no one has told them before, that multitasking is not good for us. And in fact, can actually, um, you know, degrade our brain and and damage it. it you know, it's, it's not something to aspire to. It's, you know, with the hustle culture that we all hear about, we think we have to be on all the time. We have to, you know, work a million jobs in a million hours, but that's that's not the thing. It actually harms us if we try to do too much and we're not gonna do anything well. As Ariana said, we can multitask if things don't involve, um, you know, th your brain or thinking. But if we're trying to do multiple things well at once, it's, it's not gonna work. And part of the solution is micro steps. You know, as I was working on the focus chapter, ironically, of this book, I found myself trying to multitask. I was answering texts, I was answering emails, I was, you know, doing anything and everything, but actually focusing on the focus chapter. So I, I challenged myself to do the micro step of setting 20 minute work blocks and just focusing on that thing. And the chapter, you know, um, pretty much started coming into, you know, form when I did that. And it wasn't do it wasn't when I was trying to multitask. So I think we delude ourselves a little bit about that. There's a lot of irony in the fact that you had to do micro steps <laughs> to finish a book about micro steps. But I think that's a really, I love that you share that because it's a part of the reality that uh, small, small changes make a big difference over time. On the other hand, it is over time. It's a longitudinal change that we're that we that we have to make. Nobody's going to wake up and flip a switch and 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 ha and have this perfect uh, balanced life. So, uh, but you guys have done a really nice job of explaining that. All right, we're going to have questions from the audience in a moment. So, I want to get, if I can, to at least one other topic uh, because it's one of my favorite themes in the book about gratitude. 
And um, we, we, I think, as uh, a people, um, don't pause to take time to think about um, our blessings, um, how we need to be putting others uh, ahead of us. There's just a whole lot of really nice themes. And in fact, there's a Googler that you quote in the book, um, Vinutha Narayan. I'm just going to read um, what is said there. There's evidence to prove that gratitude is the highest form of thought and the healthiest of all human emotions. Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. I just would love to hear y'all's thoughts and, and comments about the value of that in our daily lives and how we can build it into our lives. So as you know, gratitude comes from the Latin root. Um, that's the same as the word grace. And um, it's just amazing when we look at our lives moving from struggle to grace. That doesn't mean a life with no challenges. That doesn't exist. But it means a life where we feel our gratitude about our blessings. And, you know, it sounds a little bit like our grandmother's advice, like count your blessings. But that's what is so wonderful about all these micro steps. They are very simple. They are intuitive. They are based on tons of ancient wisdom and grandmother's advice. But they are also entirely backed by science. Right. Every single microstep has science behind it. That was a, a decision we made from the beginning because the whole goal of the book is to elevate this wellness conversation beyond warm and fuzzy uh, and make it like critical for our lives, for our health and for our creativity and productivity. And so we have a lot of what we call habit stacking in the book. You know, moments when our brains are not engaged, like brushing our teeth or washing our hair or washing the dishes, whatever, when we can be thinking of three things we're grateful for. And again, back to science, gratitude and anxiety cannot co coexist. We are either anxious or we are grateful. And especially in times of deep uncertainty right now, when we are so likely to move into negative bias, negative fantasies about the future, it's wonderful to um, go back to gratitude, to recenter ourselves. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm hooked on gratitude while I brush my teeth. That's a micro step that I'd... Uh, I, and, it, it sounds trivial, but it really does matter because you can get, as you say, you can get so wrapped up in the, I have to do this. I feel responsible for this. I can't, there, there's so many things that we want to make uh, a better improve. On the other hand, we should take time to reflect what, what, you know, what has worked and, or what we have uh, and to be thankful for my, my mom was that way. And, and I think over the course of time, I just, you know, you lose that remembrance of how important it is to be, to be grateful for what you do. Marina, how do you, how do you build gratitude into your, into your day? Um, I do the same thing, actually, Karen, when I'm washing my face or brushing my teeth in the morning or at night, I think of three things I'm grateful for, but I challenge myself to think of three different things every time, um, which I've worked up to. I think we're so tempted to just say, you know, the big existential things. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my family, for my work. Um, and you feel kind of guilty if you don't tick those off every single time. But we, we, you know that. We know that we're grateful for the big things. But what little things are we grateful for? You know, I'm grateful um, 
I for you know Ariana said yesterday for the lemon in my water. Um, I'm grateful <laughs> that my niece got into the 11 colleges she applied to. I'm grateful that I got to see a really cute puppy today. You know, focusing on the small moments of gratitude and even grateful for being grateful for the wonder and awe in my daily life um, are things I challenge myself to do. And, and I do that habit stack and it really works. And you know, there is science behind the fact that gratitude can lower our stress, can actually improve our sleep too. So doing it before bed is, is incredibly important. Especially important time. There's, there's some work that was done in the, for the physician community to address uh, burnout. And, and it's that same, it's, it's very similar. It's at the end of the day to think of three, three things uh, for which uh, folks are grateful and it actually improved physician burn, burnout. And it, it, that then translates to a, an opportunity for you to enter conversations and work uh, I, uh, from a posture of giving and not that you feel like you, you, you need to, to take just to be really frank about it. And I think that then feeds all the way back into the innovation and creativity. So it's just each of these, each of these kinds of threads and themes are super important. All right. We have some questions from the audience. And so maybe if we get those popped up, um, we could see what's on their minds. Um, Sunyana, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your, your name, Sunyana. Um, what are your favorite self-care and mindfulness resources? Ladies? So, well, we highly recommend Thrive to Time, a uh, time to thrive as a resource, uh, because it brings together all micro steps and generally building our own resources through micro steps that work for us. And um, you can pick uh, micro steps in all these areas. Like you can keep pick a sleep micro step, and that makes it easier for you to disconnect from your world and um, go to sleep at night. And let me give you one of them, which is uh, pick a time which is your news cutoff moment. Mm. You know, it's so tempting, especially during a public health crisis, to want to be constantly up to the latest minute informed. But in fact, it doesn't help. It stresses us. So if you pick a time that you declare, um, I'm not going to consume any more coronavirus news. I'm not going to do scroll down social media. That would be one micro step that can become one of your resources. Kind of you can build your own a collection of resources that work for you and they're yours and they, they resonate with you. And then sharing them with them family and friends is also incredibly important, you know, um, having an accountability buddy as a resource. It could be a member of your family, it could be a colleague, so you can hold each other accountable about what you're doing and what micro steps you have begun to practice. Yeah, and, and for me, you know, the best resource I have are the 60-second breaks that I take, those resets in between meetings or just, you know, when I feel like I need a break, just that knowledge that it only takes 60 to 90 seconds to course correct from a stressful moment. I lean on that a lot, you know, thinking that like, oh my gosh, you know, if I'm having a day and it's not, it's not going the way I want, it can 
all it takes is like a 60 second break and like taking those breaks throughout the day um, is is so incredibly important. And to your point, Karen, it's important to our creativity because if we're just going and we're not giving our brains that moment to rest and be bored, we're never going to have those sort of aha moments when, you know, the thoughts that have been bubbling under the surface bubble up to the surface. Um, so one this is this is going to sound a little weird, but like one of my specific resources that I do during breaks, if I can't get outside, so being in nature, tapping into, you know, the hummingbird, you know, the feeder that you do is number one, like if you can get out, but if you can't get out, um, if I can't, and all I have is a minute, I'll do some stretches and watch the live animal cams at the San Diego Zoo. <laughs> And they're so cute, you know, yeah, like, that's awesome. things are my favorite. I didn't know before it that they're obsessed with like tarps and like making hoodies for themselves and playing with it. And it just takes me out of whatever is stressing me out. And it's an incredible mood booster. And then I go into the next meeting feeling refreshed and it just took that minute. That's wonderful. You're reminding me of two quick things. One is that um, I, I, I took a, I wrote down a whole bunch of quotes that you that you all I have all these scraps of paper from my read. Because in the book, you do have a lot of um, nice um, uh, philosophers, what I'm trying to say, that, that I want to run down and learn more about how they see the world and from Aristotle all the way through to modern modern folks. And then you have a lot of citations. So there's plenty to dig into uh, in, the book, in the book later. So thank you for the question. Next one. Bassiani asks, we mostly focus on our daily routine. How do you dedicate time to think about the big picture? I love that. Um, one of the things we recommend in the book, and I practice myself, is um, reading real books before you go to bed uh, that have nothing to do with your day-to-day -day work. It could be philosophy, novels, poetry, spiritual reading, and that is the big picture. That puts everything that we are doing during our day in perspective. And to me, it's, uh, it's game changing. And you mentioned Karen quotes. You know, I collect quotes too. Many of the quotes in the book come from these books. Like one of my favorites, actually, that I have on my desk also is from Montaigne, who said, There were many terrible things in my life, but most of them never happened, mm -hmm. which is a great reminder to all of us when our brain moves into negative fantasy. So for me, there's nothing like um reading um to put my own problems in context and help me focus on the big picture and one of the books i highly recommend that i have on my nightstand uh, is by marcus aurelius who was emperor of rome for 19 years 14 of which he had to deal with a terrible pandemic and uh, he was able to write this book, Meditations, about how to be an unflappable leader, uh, how to tap into your own center, that eye of the hurricane. So, you know, even if I read one page of that book, it just definitely connects me to the big picture. It's such an important reminder that even over the millennia, people are still facing the same challenges and, there, and many of the human solutions will, will, be, will be similar. Marina, anything to add? Um, yes, I think the idea of gratitude and giving, even in our day to day, is super important for me. And you don't—it it doesn't have to be a grand gesture or like giving money or volunteering, but even our 
day-to-day connections, the idea of like, what can I do to help someone I'm working with? One of my favorite micro steps about connection that connects me to other people and the larger picture is to ask a question that goes deeper than how are you? I think we get stuck in that sort of small talk place and we're all, you know, we're more disconnected. We might only see each other on, on Zoom, but, you know, taking the time to really connect with someone else always grounds me and what other people are going through. Um, thinking about how I can help, you know, someone make their day better um, always helps me sort of get out of that, you know, grind and, and see the bigger picture. I love that. And in, in, in New Orleans, we, we don't ask, how are you? We say, how's your mama? How's your daddy? And we, we ask about your people. Next question. <laughs> Lauren asks, um, how, how have you navigated any self-societally imposed expectations of productivity and resulting guilt to achieve healthier work-life balance? I love the picture, Lauren. <laughs> Is she doing the micro step of drinking a glass of water? <laughs> She's hydrating. <laughs> it's her picture. Yeah, so I think for me, this, this comes down to one of my favorite micro steps and the expectation that you, we have to be productive around the clock and the idea, you know, that often self-imposed that, you know, oh my gosh, I have to be on all the time. Like what if someone's trying to reach me? And uh, especially when the pandemic hit, I was doing that thing that a lot of us do um, in the morning. First thing before I even fully got out of bed, I would be on my phone, like looking at it. And I would feel a lot of anxiety when I did that. Um, I didn't like the way I felt and I didn't know what to do to stop it. So I challenge myself to the micro step, super micro, just take one minute after you wake up before looking at your phone. Um, not even taking a shower first, I would just drink a glass of water like this question asker. Um, I love that. Or I would set my own intention for the day or take a few breaths. Breathing is so important. Just focus on the rising and falling of my breath for that one minute and then look at my phone. Um, and I didn't realize until I started doing that and I felt less anxious, why it was so bad that I was doing that. And when we start the day on our phones, we're starting focused on what other people want from us by checking our texts and email, um, focused on what inspires other people in their lives when we scroll through social media. And then, you know, of course, the scary and stressful headlines of the day, um, rather than focusing on what we want and for what kind of day we want to have. So just taking that one minute before picking up your phone has really helped me. This one I definitely picked up from you and um, have been doing. And there's some, some uh, t in the book, you talk about uh, the journey within. Do I have that right? So so journeying inside of yourself. Because the earlier question was about what are resources for mindfulness? And there are some external to us, but I just want to emphasize to folks that I also want you to remember, there's a lot within you that we ignore or not are not tapped into or pay attention to. And so much of what I took away from what you all are talking about is how important it is to allow that that time and peace and centeredness and be comfortable with yourself and, and give yourself, whether it's a minute in the morning or in these breaks throughout the day, um, how great it is. But th the phone one is a, is a really great one. If it's not by your bed, by the way, it's really easier to do. I know. <laughs> our unofficial motto is uh, onward, upward, inward. That's it. So, you know, onward and upward is obviously at the heart of our culture, but we forget inward. And when we add inward, everything changes. And I just want to add something um, to the question because uh, Lauren mentioned guilt. And I think especially women are prone to tremendous guilt about everything. I know 
as a working mother, you know, I sometimes felt that they took the baby out and they put the guilt in. And uh, I could never be a good enough mother or good enough at my work. Uh, and the trade-offs I made always seemed the wrong trade-offs. And so we want everyone who uh, picks up the book to consider it a judgment-free, guilt-free zone. There is no wrong way to do micro steps. Um, there is no uh, too small way to start. And basically, uh, breathe out a lot of that guilt and self-judgment, you know, that we, that all of us have. Women are particularly prone to them <clears throat> so that we can start this journey cutting ourselves some slack and, um, and, uh, and, giving ourselves some credit for everything we've been navigating, especially this year. Absolutely. I just couldn't agree more. I think giving ourselves some slack is just the, the wonderful way to, to, um, to, to help people know that they have permission. And I think we all have to show that leader. We have one more question. Maybe we could be quick with it. Cause I think we only have about a minute left. Um, and it's from Mark. So perfect. We had, we had some more diversity. How can, we best um, balance it, staying informed about the world versus having news contributing to our stress levels, especially when news can be focused on fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Go, 30 seconds. Well, I would recommend that you um, stop any notifications uh, from news outlets coming to your phone so that you are not constantly interrupted with so-called breaking news, most of which is not breaking news, and I say that coming from the news world. So uh, go to get your news when you want to get your news, when you are ready to get your news. Trust me, there's going to be no shortage of out to, to give it to you. Uh, uh, amen. There is no there is no shortage of things for us to stress about, but there's no shortage of ways that we can address that. Um, thank you both for this wonderful book and for joining us today to share your insights and perspectives. Um, I want to remind everybody how important it is um, to, to uh, take care of yourselves in these stressful times, but in all times, have compassion and patience when you're dealing with yourself and with others. Thank you for joining us and let's commit to supporting each other as we build good habits with microsteps. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Karen. Really wonderful to be in this conversation with you. It was great to have you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Ariana. Thank you, Marina. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback about this or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit g.co slash talks at Google slash podcast feedback to leave your comments. To discover more of our amazing content, you can always find us online at youtube.com slash talks at Google, on our website, google.com slash talks, or via our Twitter handle, at talks at Google. Talk soon! <laughs>